Do you ever experience occasional sleepless nights or sometimes have a difficult time falling asleep? My name is Kayla and I'd love to recommend one of Marchinash's most popular gummies, Camino Midnight Blueberry. It has five milligrams of THC and one milligram of CBN to help promote a restful night. And you just take one before going to bed. Take it from me, I microdose with cannabis almost every night and this formula is very relaxing for me. The secret is lavender and chamomile extracts plus that one milligram of CBN. Even though it is a small amount of CBN, that's all it takes to experience the potential therapeutic benefits of this edible. To learn more about Camino Midnight Blueberry, speak with one of your March Nash concierges or visit us online at marchnash.com. Until then, sweet dreams. The information presented in this podcast is not intended to provide medical or legal advice. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Before using cannabis or making any changes to your treatment, consult a qualified healthcare provider. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Olas Media or its sponsors. Olas Media. This is Cannabis Enlightened with Dr. Leroy. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Leroy with Cannabis Enlightened. Thank you very much for joining us today. And before I get into our guest, I wanted to share something with you all. Uh, something that I did within the last uh, week or two, the last time we met. I visited one of the newer March and Ash stores located in Sabre Springs. And I got to tell you, this store is amazing. It's for those of you that don't know, it's located up the I-15 uh, to Ted Williams Parkway. Um, it's to the right. And um, once you, I mean, GPS it, it's not hard to find. And it's just a, a great store. I mean, it's right there on the corner. Um, there's residential around and there's some, you know, companies uh, on one side, uh, on the other side. Um Beautifully designed, like all of the March and Ash stores, beautifully designed. And, um, I, I, you know, I want you to go visit, if for no other reason, to see where it is and to maybe to browse around. You don't have to buy anything if you don't want to, uh, but ask for my friend Rocky. Rocky's the assistant manager out there. She does a fantastic job, and I think that the experience going up there and uh, looking around the shop and asking some questions, is really going to be, as we talked about, uh, and as we always talk about, knowledge is power, give you much more knowledge about cannabis, what's going on in the cannabis space. And as I said, like many of the marching ash stores, beautifully attired, just beautifully attired. So with that, I want to get into um, and start speaking with our guest. And here's what I want to say about our guest before I bring her on. And she's probably saying, don't say these things. I could probably have had her on to talk about any number of subjects. That's how deep she is in the cannabis space. But I, I thought about the topic that we're going to be wrestling with today. That's cannabis lounges uh, or cannabis lounge. Um, and in terms of what that is. And she's going to be able to speak with us about that. But before she gets into that and gives us all her knowledge so that when we finish talking with Dr. Ryman, she won't have any more knowledge because she's going to share it all with us. Uh, I would like her to, you know, introduce herself to the listening audience and 
tell us a little bit about her background. So without any further ado, Amanda, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, so hi to all the listeners. Um, I'm Dr. Amanda Ryman, and I'm a social scientist. So I study the relationship between cannabis use, people, greater society, and I've been doing this for a little over 20 years. Um, I got my start in the San Francisco Bay Area when I was getting my PhD at Berkeley in social welfare and becoming a medical cannabis patient myself. I started to go to early dispensaries and noticing the really amazing phenomenon that was occurring around not only alternative health, but community health. And so I decided to study them. I wanted to know more about why people were using cannabis, how they were using cannabis, and the role that dispensaries play in making sure that folks have safe access. And that spawned a several decades career in studying cannabis policy, cannabis use, um, both on the nonprofit side, the for-profit side. And currently I am the chief knowledge officer of New Frontier Data, which is a cannabis analytics firm. And I also have my own platform called Personal Plants. And the goal of that platform is to really weed through, no pun intended, um, the rhetoric around <laughs> cannabis and psychoactive plants in general to help people develop healthy, balanced relationships with these plants. And I think that the topic we're going to be discussing today, cannabis lounges, really fits in well with what healthy, balanced cannabis use looks like and the ability of people to share in the experience and also provide some harm reduction around some of the potential downfalls of using a psychoactive substance. So it's really exciting for me to be here. One of my favorite things is to talk to people about cannabis and how it can be best integrated into their lives. Amanda, you just talked about a term that I find hugely interesting, and I'm, I'm thinking that my listeners are going to want a little bit more maybe explanation or platform for that before we get into the lounges. That's a balance. What are you talking about? What do you mean by a balance, healthy balance? Well, I will say that as human beings, we are really terrible at moderating our behavior. When we find something we like, something that makes us feel good, something that alleviates our discomfort, we go all in. And sometimes going all in means you ignore the negative impacts of overconsumption, of inappropriate consumption. And it is absolutely true that cannabis is safer than pretty much all other intoxicating substances you're gonna find out in the world. It's also true that you cannot fatally overdose on cannabis, but that doesn't mean that everyone should use it all day, all the time, everywhere. Just like everything else in life, whether that's exercise or sleep or social media, it's really important for us to find balance, for us to find the amount that we can consume that helps us and serves the purpose that we want without tipping the scales over to the side where it starts to bring negative consequences into our lives. And as we'll discuss, cannabis prohibition in and of itself yeah. has the potential to bring negative consequences into people's lives. Right. But so does mindless consumption of anything, whether that's cannabis, food, or television. Oh, you shouldn't have said that television because I have that. That mindless consumption of television. <laughs> so so um, finding that balance is, is difficult for a lot of folks, especially when it comes to cannabis. Um, many people ask me, and I'm sure they ask you too, 
how much should I take? And I think it's different um, for people that are new, especially for people that are new, because they think that, well, this is just like, this is just like alcohol. And I say, no, it's not. For, for one, it's healthy for you. And uh, number two, you're not going to feel it right away like you will a shot of, um, I, I don't know, tequila or bourbon. It's going to take a little bit of time to get into your system. Um, would you agree? I think a lot of that depends on the method of ingestion. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's important for folks, especially new folks, as you point out, to understand is that the way that you consume cannabis is going to impact a lot of how you feel after you consume it. Mm -hmm. And different methods of consumption hold different types of risk. Um, when you smoke cannabis, you're going to feel it pretty quickly. So it's really helpful for what we call titrating your dose. So taking in just as much as you want and not too much because you feel it pretty quickly. So you can decide, do I want another hit of that joint or do I not want another hit of that joint? But smoking anything, including cannabis, can have some health risks associated with it in terms of inhaling hot organic matter, which can irritate the throat. It can irritate the lungs. It can cause cough. Um, mm -hmm. So thinking about balancing the benefits of being able to feel it pretty quickly with some of the potential harms of smoking, where on the other hand, consuming edibles can take a little while for you to feel it. Um, so that can take one to two hours for you to get the full effect. And so therefore edibles, the risk is overdosing, right? The risk mm -hmm. is taking too much. It's taking a little bit and then waiting 30 minutes and not feeling anything and taking some more and waiting 30 minutes and not feeling anything and taking some more. And then two hours later, you're like, whoa, I've had way too much. Mm -hmm. Now, thankfully, way too much with cannabis is less dangerous than way too much with alcohol, but exactly. it can still be an uncomfortable experience, especially mm -hmm. for a newer consumer. So part of the education, and this is, you know, we're going to get into the social lounges, but why the lounges are so important, one of the reasons is that it really helps consumers learn how to use cannabis mm -hmm. and learn how the different methods of ingestion affect them and provide them with a social support uh, for their consumption in case they end up consuming in a way that is not serving them or is that is giving them a negative side effect. And, and all that is part of business, the business of cannabis, business education, education about cannabis, I think. Um, one of the things that I, I, I didn't hear you talk about um, that is perhaps kind of new and uh, folks find themselves more apt to want to do this once they find out, that is drinking. Um, drinking cannabis, because it's more like something that they're used to, as, as we, we, we started talking about alcohol. They're, they're used to that drinking, um, but then they have to be, watch out for the amount of either THC or CBD that's in whatever they, they drink. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we as a society, we like to drink our intoxicants. We yeah. drink alcohol, we drink caffeine. Um, it's a very common way for us, especially socially, to imbibe. And so cannabis beverages are, are a growing sector of the market. One of the benefits of using cannabis beverages, we were just talking about that onset, right? So how mm -hmm. long it takes for you to feel it. Yeah. Traditionally, cannabis beverages were more like edibles, where it could take an hour or two hours to feel it. However, there's new technology that has been introduced into the beverage space that allows for the rapid absorption of cannabinoids into the bloodstream, 
which means that with modern beverages, you're feeling the effect in about 10 or 15 minutes, which is more aligned to how fast you would feel alcohol. Mm -hmm. So we want people to look at cannabis beverages as a viable substitute for alcohol. We have to make the experience similar to what they expect with alcohol. Because if you're hanging out with some friends and they're drinking beer and you want to drink your cannabis drink and they're four drinks in before you feel you're one, it's going to be really hard to have a similar social experience with them. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling the effect of your beverage on par with how they're feeling the effect of their beverage, it's a lot easier to look at cannabis as a viable substitute for alcohol. So just before we, I keep saying this before we get into lounges, <laughs> but you know, I, you're really true to what I said on the beginning of the program. You have so much knowledge that um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of going every which way in terms of pulling it all over all, all of it out of you. Um, what about mixing the consumption of alcohol and cannabis? Oh, I, and on that one, I say proceed with caution. Okay. Uh, if you're not, especially if you're not an experienced cannabis consumer. So when we talk about the relationship that different substances have, cannabis and alcohol have what we call a synergistic relationship, which is like one plus one equals four. And so the use of cannabis and alcohol together can enhance both the feeling of the cannabis and the feeling of the alcohol. And unfortunately, the pattern that we see more often are people that have already been drinking alcohol, so their inhibitions are lowered. And then someone says, oh, you should have some cannabis. And because their inhibitions are lowered, they accept that cannabis, and then they have a bad reaction, usually nausea, uh, dizziness. Um, it's, it's not a good experience. Mm -hmm. Now, other folks that are very experienced with cannabis and alcohol may say, you know what, if I have a little bit of cannabis before I go to the bar or the party, I can actually get away with drinking far less alcohol because mm -hmm. of this synergistic effect. So people definitely use cannabis to help reduce the amount of alcohol that they're consuming. But again, if you're not an experienced cannabis consumer, I would say definitely proceed with caution when it comes to mixing the two. And if you are going to mix the two, I recommend starting with cannabis, not with alcohol. Um, because as I mentioned, if you use cannabis first, you might find that you can have half a glass of wine and get the effect you want from the alcohol. Whereas if you're already inebriated, adding cannabis on board may give you the outcome you do not want. Right. And what we're talking about, I think, is that you have to be kind of like your own doctor in terms of how much you consume. Uh, if you want to take cannabis just alone or if you want to take um, and consume cannabis and maybe a glass of wine, you, you've got you've to kind of test what your tolerance is. Oh, absolutely. And so we actually call that finding your minimum effective dose of cannabis. So finding your minimum effective dose means what am I trying to accomplish with this cannabis consumption? And what's the smallest amount of cannabis I can take in order to accomplish that? So if I'm trying to use cannabis for sleep, what's the smallest dose of cannabis I can consume and have better sleep? If I'm using cannabis for relaxation, What's the smallest amount of cannabis I can consume and feel relaxed? And so I recommend to folks, start low, go slow. Mm -hmm. Start with a very small amount and then wait and see how you feel and really think about it. And we talked about this mindless consumption. Well, unsurprisingly, 
the opposite of that is mindful consumption. <laughs> so really thinking about what we're trying to get out of this experience, taking a little bit and then evaluating whether we've been successful. And if we have, stop. And that's, like I said, we don't like moderation as human beings. Yeah. So once we take something that makes us feel good, we want more, we want more, we want more. But your tolerance and your mindset and everything will thank you if you stick to the minimum effective dose with cannabis. Absolutely. So one of the things that I've been fascinated with and as I've been in the cannabis space and um, I started uh, maybe four or five years ago teaching the business of cannabis at a local college. And I'm, I'm kind of proud to say that at the time I was teaching it, um, there was not a class like the business of cannabis taught uh, in the city and maybe even the state. And, and, and I would venture to say across the country because I had people from Philadelphia in my class doing it uh, virtually. Um, but since that time, one of the things that has fascinated me has been the idea of a lounge, a cannabis lounge. And you can buy cannabis at a retail store, okay, at a legal retail store. And once again, I want everybody to come to March and Ash, the retail store. But you can't smoke it everywhere, right? You, you could probably smoke in your home but when you step outside your home, that's a different type of thing. You can't smoke it at a park or at a mall. So that brings in the lounge. Now, what is a lounge? So a cannabis lounge is really no different than a bar for alcohol. It's a social space where people can consume the product together, uh, where they can hang out and relax. And sometimes you have music and sometimes you have board games and sometimes you have activities. Uh, you have comfortable places for people to sit. And not only does it provide what you talked about, which is giving people a safe space to consume, but it gives them the social interaction around cannabis. And that's really important, especially for people that come from groups where cannabis is still very highly stigmatized. So you had sent me a couple articles about cannabis lounges and one of them was talking about a lounge in Maryland mm -hmm. and they were interviewing a woman who was in her 80s. Right, right. Talking about how great it was that she had this space. Now, she may be in a social group of people that don't approve of cannabis or where she can't tell them she uses cannabis. Exactly. And so it is about providing a safe space to consume and it's also about allowing people who consume to be together and to experience that normalization together. Right, right. You know, um, I was um, very torn by that. Um, listening, I don't know if you were able to, or if it's still on, uh, I think it was NPR, to listen to the, um, um, the interview, but you could, you could tell she was, you know, a little bit elderly, and that she needed to come there to smoke, and she liked the idea of being around like-minded people. But there was also someone there who, from what I read it uh, or listened to it, was there for purely recreational. You know, I can come here and smoke and, um, you know, there are other people that, that smoke that are like me and they appreciate what I appreciate. So do you think this is a concept that will grow as we continue in the cannabis industry? Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, is that it's not really a new concept. So. 
the very early dispensaries in the San Francisco Bay Area, most of them had lounges. Hmm. And, you know, we can talk a bit about the history there and the relationship to the uh, HIV AIDS movements in San Francisco and kind of the social marginalization that AIDS patients faced and looking for a space where they could come together and find camaraderie and social support. And many of the lounges and early cannabis dispensaries were that. Um, also, because cannabis wasn't legal and you had people that needed it for medical purposes, they didn't have any safe place to consume. So you mentioned, you know, being able to consume in your private home, and that's true unless you live in public housing or you live in an apartment and your landlord has decided that there's no smoking allowed in the building. Um, If you're a tourist or a visitor and you're just staying in a hotel or if you're a resident and you live in a hotel, then you cannot safely consume. So we really had a lot of folks that needed a place not only to get that, you know, kind of social camaraderie and support, but literally a place to go and use their medicine. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want them sitting in their cars and we didn't want them sitting in public spaces. So I think that, you know, it is a necessity. Uh, It is a necessity in legalization to give people a safe place to consume cannabis if we don't want them consuming on the sidewalk or in the park or other places. It's the the question is, well, where where do they go? You know, if I'm a tourist and I'm visiting Las Vegas and I want to visit a dispensary, which is completely legal and it's completely legal for me to consume, but I'm staying in a hotel that has a no smoking policy, where do I go? Um, So I think it's really important that we have these social lounges, but we're really just taking a page out of the very, very early playbook of medical cannabis. Do you think that might also move people more into vaping? Well... So this is the interesting thing. Oh, big smile. (laughs) (laughs) So not having a safe place to smoke definitely encourages people to use other forms of ingestion, right? You can pretty much pop a gummy in your mouth anywhere and nobody's going to know anything, Right. right? But that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is that each method of consumption holds with it its own set of risks. Right. So if you're a tourist, for example, and you don't have legal cannabis back where you live, and maybe you want to try it because you're in a place where it's legal, I would not encourage someone to use an edible because of the delayed onset and the increased increased risk of overdose. But vape pens also have their own risks, right? They're very habit forming. Um, And so it's easier for people to kind of pick up a habit of consumption when something is so easily accessible and you can kind of use it anywhere. And also the oil that's in vape cartridges is very high in THC. It's a very Mm. highly concentrated oil. So if I'm a newer consumer, a vape pen might be too strong for me. It Mm. might be a better idea for me to be consuming something that's more of a one-to-one THC CBD flower that has about 10% THC in it than to pick up a vape cart that has 70% THC in it right out the gate. So if we want to be able to match people's experiences and needs with whatever method of ingestion makes most sense for them, we need to give them spaces where all methods of ingestion are appropriate. Sure. Right. Right. Now, can you also bring shed a little light on the notion of uh, when you do smoke? Um, This is old kind of uh, concept where you smoke and you need to hold it in. Uh, So that is not true. (laughs) (laughs) 
no, no, come on now. Now, you need to hold it in long enough so that it gets into your lungs. Um, but there's no evidence that holding it in for three seconds versus 10 seconds is getting you any higher. Okay. Now, there is that phrase that you may have heard, if you don't cough, you don't get off. And so that's referring to this idea that coughing somehow increases the high and people associate coughing with holding it into your lungs longer. The reality okay. is, is that the reason you feel higher when you cough is because you're depriving your brain of oxygen <laughs> while you're mm. coughing. And so you are opening up some of those airways in the lungs to make the cannabis smoke absorb a little faster. You're also depriving your brain of oxygen, which is gonna make you feel a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that cannabis is really vulnerable to what we call social learning. Mm -hmm. Meaning that on its okay. own, it is not super strong as an intoxicant. And it really relies on training the brain, which happens with experience mm -hmm. and also happens with being around people who are using cannabis to learn what being high is like. What is the process of becoming high? Mm -hmm. What does being high mean? A lot of that comes from environmental stimuli as much as it comes from the chemicals in the plant. Mm -hmm. which is why social lounges become all that more important. It's helping teach people what cannabis consumption is like. And I had a friend mm -hmm. who came from the wine industry. Right. And a few years ago, she was giving a talk and she said, you know, no one ever comes into my wine tasting room and says, so tell me about this wine. What's <laughs> wine? How do I consume it? What is it like? How do I put it in my body? How do I feel the effects? You know, we kind of are growing up being socialized Into, to what right. drinking alcohol means. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us learned as teenagers what being drunk looked like or mm -hmm. what drinking alcohol entailed. Because cannabis has been prohibited, we haven't really given people the opportunity in a controlled, normalized environment to learn about the process of becoming intoxicated on cannabis. And again, that's why these social lounges become really important. Right. I was going to mention uh, the stigma that is associated with cannabis is one, and I find this amongst a lot of people, they associate cannabis with, um, you know, heroin. They associate it with uh, snorting cocaine. And that's, and, and maybe some of that is because it's a schedule one drug. Cocaine is a schedule yes. two drug. Yes. Well, you know, and I, I don't understand that part, you know. Um, maybe that's just the way the people that scheduled it decided to do it, but I see a uh, medical benefit to cannabis, and maybe I'm alone on that, but, you know, the fact that you, you, your experience with cannabis is far different, and I would put the B word in there, far better than an experience with alcohol, is, is something that I think places uh, cannabis uh, far ahead of uh of, of alcohol or maybe most types of drugs that that lead to a relaxation or a better health kind of thing. Oh, you're absolutely right. And so I'll just mention quickly, the reason cocaine's a Schedule II drug is okay. because it has an accepted medical use. It has. Which is okay. um, eye eyeballs for oh, eye okay. surgery. Um, and so that's why it's Schedule II. Uh, I do think this goes back to this fallacy, this false belief that if a drug is legal, it's safer than if a drug is illegal. Yes, yes. And so people that think alcohol is safe, people that think that prescription drugs are completely safe, 
um, you know, goes back to that belief that if something is made illegal, it's because it poses a greater risk to the user and society than something that is legal. Uh, we know that's not true, right? Um, you know, when you look at some of the other Schedule One substances like psilocybin that is in mushrooms, uh, it's one of the safest substances out there in terms of potential harm to the user and to society. Um, alcohol places a huge potential harm to the user and society. And tobacco, even though it doesn't really pose as much risk to society, poses a huge risk to the user. So I think one of the things we have to get over as a society, if we're really going to think about drug policy, is this idea that legality dictates safety, because it just doesn't. And these drugs were made illegal for lots of reasons, but safety was not one of them. Right. Well, let me, let me get your opinion. Um, as we, we, many of us want to move to either descheduling or rescheduling. Where, where do you lie on that? Um... Oh, that's a great question. Well, I will say that the activist in me and the person in me that understands really the potential harms of cannabis, I would say descheduling makes the most sense. Okay. As the pragmatist in me and the person that's watched cannabis policy and drug policy and has seen how difficult it is to move the needle even a millimeter yeah. over the past few decades, I feel like we're going to have to deal with with rescheduling. I do not think the federal government's going to be willing to yeah. deschedule, um, not at least not now. You know, I think that we're going to have to take incremental steps. I mean, we're having a hard time even getting banking access. So, like yeah. the idea that they would completely remove cannabis from the drug schedule, I do think our CBD should be completely descheduled. There's really no reason for CBD to be a controlled substance. It's non-intoxicating, it's non-habit forming, it has a lot of medical benefits. Um, but I do think that THC will remain a controlled substance. Mm -hmm. uh, my hope is that we move it as far down the schedule as we possibly can. You and I are in complete agreement, complete agreement. Um, unfortunately, I think it's probably gonna be moved down to maybe, uh, schedule, you know, two or three, but it's, that still means it's illegal, federally illegal. And um, it, the fight or the battle continues. So it, and it will. It, it'll continue for a long time. Yeah. I mean, we're 100 years out of alcohol prohibition, and we're still arguing about the best way to regulate alcohol. So I do not mm. see us closing the book on cannabis yeah. regulation for quite some time. The only thing I would say about that is that um, people live for happy hour. Yeah. You know, so that legitimizes alcohol from not only from a legal standpoint, but from, a, as you mentioned earlier, a social standpoint, that it's OK. You know, Friday night. Well, it used to be Friday night. Now it's every night. <laughs> you know, happy hour Monday. About that, though, I think is that yeah. Gen Z's, mm -hmm. so the youngest generation, they're drinking less alcohol than millennials were drinking at their age. Mm. So we're seeing a trend away from alcohol consumption and we're seeing more sober bars pop up and non-alcoholic elixirs that use functional mushrooms and other types of herbs to promote a feeling of relaxation. Right. I do think we're seeing a shift away from alcohol and I do think that cannabis is a part of that. And if we had cannabis lounges, then there absolutely could be happy hours sure. at the cannabis lounges where people come in and there's a discount on products and there's a, you know, bingo going on mm -hmm. or a, a open mic night going on. So I think that the younger generation 
is reimagining what relaxation and recreation looks like. And I don't think alcohol is necessarily going to play a big role in it. Okay. All right. So uh, as people start to, you know, we're having this conversation about the lounges. When folks start to go to a lounge, and um, I, I think I sent some information to you concerning the fact that in National City here, they're, um, you know, they're getting together a, a lounge that maybe will open in 24, 2024 or something. Um, when folks go to that lounge or to a lounge in Las Vegas or whatever city they go to, what, should, what kind of things should they be looking for? Well, I think, and you know, similarly to any kind of recreation lounge, comfort. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, are there comfortable places to sit and hang out? Is it the kind of place you want to be? Um, you know, do you feel comfortable there with the people that are there, with the way that it's set up? Um, what's available to you? So, you know, some people are just looking for a place to sit down and smoke, right? They don't care if there's food and they don't care if there's entertainment. Um, they just want a place that they can go and sit and relax and not have to worry that mm -hmm. so they're going to get in trouble or that they're going to get kicked out of their housing or, or their hotel. Um, you know, they just want a place that they can go. Other folks want to learn. So mm -hmm. they want to go to a lounge and get some education and learn a bit about different products and what different methods of consumption are like and maybe try a few things in a place where they feel is safe. And then other people want to go for a full social experience and an entertainment experience. And, you know, it was interesting because the early lounges in the dispensaries kind of mimicked these different types. You know, you had lounges where it was just, hey, here's a part of the dispensary with chairs and ashtrays and some board games and water. And you could hang out there and, and use your products and chill and talk to your friends. And then they had other dispensaries that had full-on educational and entertainment programming right. and open mic nights and live music and art classes and really combined the use of cannabis with recreation. And when you're talking about especially people that have chronic illnesses, right, right people that um, really can't go out and socialize, I think that was mentioned in one of the articles you sent was, you know, people that... Uh, are like, I'm pretty much homebound. You know, I need to be able to use cannabis several times a day and I can't really do that out in the world. And so therefore I just stay home. You know, that can be very isolating. So the opportunity for people to go and be out in the world and be with other people, but still know they can access their cannabis is really important, right. especially for folks that might feel isolated from having a chronic condition. So I think that just like alcohol bars, they're going to be all different types of cannabis lounges. But in terms of what to look for when somebody goes into a lounge, how do you feel? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we're pretty good at walking into a, a space and thinking like, is this something that's giving me good vibes or is it not giving me good vibes? And if you're not feeling good vibes, then you're definitely not going to want to get high there right. um, because that's just going to accentuate the, the, the discomfort you're feeling. Mm -hmm. But if you walk in and you feel, wow, this place has good vibes, like you were talking about that dispensary, mm -hmm. right? And you feel that when you walk into a dispensary, you're like, good vibes, you know, like the, it, it's clean, it's well lit, there's people here to help me, the products are set up really nicely. Um, you know, those are all things that give you the sense that this is a place where you can relax. And I think that's going to be the key for cannabis lounges is that you want people to feel that they can go in there and maybe lose their inhibitions a little bit while they're consuming cannabis and still feel like they're safe and they're in a place that's going to make them feel like they can actually let go and relax. Dr. Ryman, are there 
any uh, cannabis lounges that you have experienced that you feel are, are you know, maybe better than others? Uh, well, there's some in San Francisco that I've been to that all have kind of their unique feel, you know? I mm -hmm. mean, I remember I went to one that was set up kind of like a mid-century gothic kind mm. of place with, you know, really interesting lighting, um, really comfortable, like velvet couches, um, you know, almost kind of set up like a speakeasy. Um, and then there's a lounge here where I live in Northern California that is very perfect for the environment. So it's outdoors. Mm. It's in a beautiful setting with, you know, the hills and the trees and the sunshine. Um, they have a stage where they put on concerts, they offer yoga, they wow. have little markets where vendors set up booths outside and sell, you know, t-shirts mm -hmm. and, and pipes and different things. Uh, they have classes like painting classes. Um, mm. But, you know, I feel like the lounge should really reflect the place where it is. Right. So, you know, if people are coming down to Southern California they are expecting a Southern California vibe, <laughs> right? And that yeah. vibe may not play very well in New York. If people uh, are in New York, they're going to want a New York vibe. So I would say if you're someone setting up a lounge, think about the type of environment and the type of vibe that your visitors want to experience. Like Vegas is going to be very different likely oh, yeah. than Southern California or New York um, mm. because the people are coming there for a certain aesthetic and I think that lounges really play into that. Um, it's fun to have things that are unique and different. I think smoking is going to be a key differentiator. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people want to consume cannabis, but they don't want to smoke. Exactly. And they don't want to be around smoke. Right. So you have to think about how do you cater to those people while still allowing folks that do want to smoke. So what I've seen are some lounges that have outdoor areas for smoking, but indoors, it's just edibles and vapes. And maybe drinkables. Yeah, and, and drinkables. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, if people want to smoke, there's a place for them to go. But if you don't want to be around the smoke, right. you don't feel like that's something you have to experience in order to, to experience the lounge. Wow. Wow. You have got me thinking that I need, a, need to do a road trip, um, a cannabis lounge road trip, uh, and then come back and share that with uh, the Cannabis Enlightened audience, too. Because, um, as you pointed out, they're different. Uh, and they reflect the vibe of the particular area. And, um, you know, perhaps uh, doing that would bring, you know, for me anyway, bring more enlightenment into, you know, the cannabis lounge and, and the total experience. So I appreciate that. I think that's a great idea. Is there anything else that you can think of that would help the cannabis enlightened audience um, better understand uh, the cannabis lounge concept? Because I know we have we have senior people, we have um, cannabis professionals who, you know, have been around for a long time and, and enjoyed cannabis, but maybe not to the extent of a cannabis lounge. And then we've got new people coming in. So is there anything else that you might want to share with them? Well, I think, and I mentioned this at the very beginning, just like alcohol bars, cannabis lounges are a form of harm reduction meaning that there are potential harms that can come from being intoxicated, for not knowing what you're doing, from not having access to education along with the products, to feeling isolated and like you can't talk to anybody about the fact that you're a consumer or mm. share in that consumption with other people. Very true. And cannabis lounges give people a place to do that. 
And so for folks that are in communities that are like, well, we don't want cannabis lounges here. The alternative is that people are going to be consuming where you don't want them to. Exactly. And so if you don't want to smell it while you're walking down the street or you're at the park with your kids, if you don't want people consuming edibles and then kind of wandering around the streets or being in the hotel, if you want people to get a better sense of how their product is going to affect them and to make sure that that effect is safe, then you, what you really want is a cannabis lounge. Exactly. Um, you know, that that's what you want in your community. You know, you want a place for people to go and experience the product that is appropriate and isn't going to infringe on the rights of others. Um, so I think that everyone should really support having a cannabis lounge in their community. People are using cannabis. Even if you're in an illegal state, people are using cannabis. So why not give them a space to use it where they can support each other and make sure that they're safe? Based upon your comments, I almost feel like it's time to get out there and start protesting. <laughs> cannabis lounge, cannabis lounge. <laughs> so thank you very much, uh, Dr. Rahman, for being so gracious with your time. Um, and I bet you that there are people that would want to uh, reach out to you based upon hearing you speak. How can they get in touch with you? Sure. So you can feel free to send me an email. Uh, my email address is Amanda at mypersonalplants.com. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about how to use cannabis safely, how to have a balanced relationship with cannabis, how to make your own products at home, so making your own edibles, making your own oils and tinctures, you can check out mypersonalplants.com. We've got a lot of really easy to follow recipes on there. And then I'm on all the social medias under my name, uh, Amanda Ryman, so you can find me there as well. And, and she is very, very knowledgeable, and uh, you would benefit from spending some time um, speaking to uh, Dr. Ryman about uh, cannabis and what cannabis, all the benefits of cannabis. And on that note, I'm going to, again, thank you very much for being very generous with your time. Um, it's been a thrill to you know, talk about the Cannabis Lounge and better understanding uh, lounges um, that we have in our uh, city or throughout the United States and how people can avail themselves to you to it. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, you can enjoy all seasons of Cannabis Enlightened um, 1 and 2 on the Olus Media Network at CannabisEnlightened.com. Also, uh, by all means, reach out to me uh, with your comments, your questions, recommendations, or just to say hi at DrLeroy at CannabisEnlightened.com. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And remember, knowledge is power. Thank you for listening to the Cannabis in Line podcast, sponsored by March and Ash. If you're interested in exploring more about the products and services offered at March and Ash, be sure to visit their website at marchandash.com. We invite your comments, questions, and show ideas. Visit CannabisInLine.com or email us at DrLeroy at CannabisInLine.com. That's a dr.leroy at CannabisInLine.com. Cannabis in Line is produced in San Diego, California. Jessica Garcia serves as a general manager. Elia Ramos as the creative director. JC Polk as executive producer. Lena Alvarez assists with production. And Chad Peace, who is a president and founding partner. To learn more about March and Ash and their premium cannabis products, visit their website at marchandash.com. This podcast is a production of Olas Media. Thank you for listening. Olas Media. Hey, what's up? I'm Rocky from March and Ash. Have you heard about the new ABX sauce cartridge? 
They're carefully curated top shelf extracts that showcase unique flavors and effects of each plant. And get this, their live resin sauce cartridges focus more on cannabis terpenes than THC levels. Papaya Bomb is a must try with heavy fruity aromas and tropical fruit, citrus, and gassy flavors. Consumers have reported euphoric, uplifting, happy effects followed by a calming sensation. Head to marchandash.com to learn more or ask any concierge at any Marchandash. Catch you later.